to the Philip K. Dick Book Club. In each episode of this podcast, I look at one of the works of Philip K. Dick in the order of publication. So today I'm going to be beginning, be beginning and ending a very, very short series on Dick's publications from 1958. Now, as far as I can tell, he really only published one thing in 1958, which was a short story that we're going to look at today called Null Ol, published in If Magazine in December of 1958. And as I talked about in some of the previous episodes, I think it was when I looked at the story, um, The Unreconstructed M, Dick had pretty much stopped writing short stories, and he wouldn't pick up writing short stories again until until the middle of the 1960s. He starts to write novels, and you know that's one of the reasons why not much is published in 1958. He's, he kind of cleaned up his backlog of, of works he hadn't, he'd written earlier and hadn't published. Um, and this is actually one of those. Uh, it was brought to the editor. What year? Yeah, it was brought. To, it was given to his, or not his editor, his agent, way back in August of 1953. So this is one of these these kinds of uh, stories that didn't get out until he had more name recognition. And there's a lot of stories like that, which, I, as I talked about before, it, the way I'm doing this, looking at these by order of publication, it's not always. Why? It's because it doesn't really show us the, the history of these ideas. It's better to actually read them in the order that they were submitted to the editors. But nevertheless, the Noel, Noel, not the Noel, just Noel, is N-U-L-L-O, is a very, very interesting story. It's another story about the post-human, and it sort of deals with the, the human-machine divide as well. These, these are issues Dick was certainly interested in in a lot of his short stories. So anyways, let's just just jump into this story and into the plot of it. Um, so we have a family dealing with a son, and that's a common theme Dick had in these stories, especially parents of one worldview and one generation dealing with children who have some ability or come from a different generation. We see this in The Chromian Fence. We've seen it in John's World and, and a few other stories. Uh, the World of Talent, certainly. So Ralph and Jean Jorgensen, the parents, are discussing what to do about their son, Lemuel, who is listening on to their conversation. Ralph notices that Lemuel doesn't do any of the other things that boys his age do. Uh, he's deeply concerned about his awkward social behavior. Um, now, Jean protests, but Ralph insists that Lemieux has to be taken to a more specialized psychological clinic at a place called The Hill. Now, of course, it's hard not to read this and think about the kind of the autism and the large number of parents who, who identify their children as having some kind of awkward social behavior and then say maybe they have Asperger's or something or they're on the they're on the spectrum right that's that's be you know diagnoses are going up in these things and there's a debate whether you know why why these diagnoses are increasing are more people coming down with this are we just identifying people better is there a bit of a fad involved in this I don't know but anyways uh it's a kind of a familiar concern right where 
you're watching your kid. He's not making friends or whatever. He's doing things strange. He's acting strangely. And so then you try to intervene, right? Ralph wants a more radical approach. So he says, let's take him to the hill. The Orgesons end up meeting with Dr. James North at the hill. And North insists on talking to Lemuel alone. And they discuss an incident that morning where Lemuel was beaten up by some other children at a baseball game. Lemuel explains that he was unwilling to accept the arbitrary rules of the game. And he gets close to saying that human morals are arbitrary. And it's kind of a chilling statement that he makes. Now, we want to sympathize with Lemuel, but the way he says things, it just shows you that he might be a bit of a psychopath or a bit, a bit nutty after all. Here's what he says to the doctor. He says, you know about that? I discovered the rules of their game were pretty arbitrary. Therefore, I naturally oriented myself to the basic reality of the situation. And when I came up at bat, I hit the pitcher and the catcher over the head. Over the head. Later, I discovered that all human ethics and morals are exactly the same sort of... Then he breaks off. So he's starting to get to this deeper realization that, that all human rules are, are arbitrary, including the moral ones. So after some tests, Dr. North concludes that Lemieux is a quote-unquote a perfect paranoid and free of all moral or cultural bias. But he also concludes a broader point. He says that paranoia is not a mental illness. Instead, paranoia is a perfectly rational way of looking at the world. The paranoid is a perfect rationalist. Lemuel mentions that he knows that others share his perspective, and his proof for this is that he's read Mein Kampf. So is then Hitler or the Nazi party an example of the, the perfect paranoid? Perhaps that sticks point here. Now, there's shout-outs here to an idea that's played with, with the paranoids in Eye in the Sky, where you have a paranoid figure who, when other people enter their her, her head, she projects a paranoid world on them, but she thinks it's completely rational, right? So to say that paranoia is a rational way of looking at the world is to confess that everyone's out to get us, right? And there might be some truth to that in, in some circumstances, but it's almost as if the if Dr. North is a paranoid himself, you know, you might say that, right? Now, over the next few days, Dr. North and Lemieux developed the theory of the null all. Oh, Lemuel explains it as the realization that all divisions between material objects are arbitrary. When null is achieved, this verbal distinction will cease. Eventually, this unity can be applied to all things across the universe. So Dr. North says that he'll take Lemuel to see Dr. Jacob Weller, who may be able to help him some more. So Weller is working on... Now, this is sometime in the future. Uh, Weller is working on the C-bomb, the cobalt bomb. Weller tells Lemuel that most scientists are now null O. In addition to the C-bomb, they're working on the E-bomb, and the E-bomb will allow the Earth itself to become... Um, what's the right word here? I have to find the exact quote here. The phrase, the E-bomb, describes a process by which the Earth itself becomes a pile, is brought to a critical mass, and then allowed to detonate. So this will make Earth itself... A null all. As an amorphous pile, all distinctions will end. That's why he says it's it would make the Earth itself a null all. And then finally, these innovations will build up to the ultimate, the S-bomb, which can turn the solar system into a gestalt. So what we have here is a bit of a play on the nuclear arms race, which of course was alive and well when Dick wrote the story and when it was published. 
But there's a bit of an interesting turn in this in that the scientists creating these bombs are presented as, as totally psycho, psychopathic and anti-human, anti-rational, and yeah, bizarre in their in their beliefs that it's a good thing for us all to be formed into a gestalt and all disti all distinctions between us evaporated into kind of an ultimate being even if it means ex you know extinction by 1969 we learn so this story covers a lot of time now uh, by 1969 null ol had taken over all parts of the government and they launched the first c-bomb like that first level bomb which reduces the human population to a mere 3,000 Weller begins preparations for the launching of the E-bomb, which will turn the Earth into a gestalt. Weller and Lemuel, Lemuel's now fairly high-ranking. He's kind of moved up the ranks. He discusses the future, his future plans to unify the world. Earth will be unified by the E-bomb, which will be followed by the S-bomb. And in the future, there'll be a G-bomb and finally the U-bomb. The U-bomb will finish the process by turning the universe into a gestalt. As Dr. Frisch informs Dr. Weller that some humans have survived the unification efforts by living underground, these were industrials who moved underground with a massive labor force in order to sustain their system. And they're working up ways to survive, and eventually the fear is that these survivalists living underground will eventually outnumber the surviving null population. These emotional rebels against the quote-unquote the great work who can't logically see the importance of the world, the universe, breaking down its distinctions. You know, and they'll eventually overpower the Null and take them over. That's the fear. So the Null retreat to Venus to continue the work. And Lemuel, however, was left behind to the mob. So that's the story. That's the story of the Null. It's, it's, in a certain way, it's about the post-human because it's dealing with people who are emotionally and psychologically post-human. It's, I think it's Dick's first exploration with the idea of the mentally ill being in charge. I know Dick says at the beginning that the paranoids aren't mentally ill. They're just the perfect uh, people who understand this. But the person who says that is probably is also one of these null, it seems. So it's not, an, it's not a realistic diagnosis or it's not an objective diagnosis of, of Lemuel. In fact, if anything, the doctor there was a recruiter. And, but if you don't want to look at this as a post-human story, because I know that's doubtful, it's it's not as clearly a story of mutants as some of his other stories, but it's certainly a story about the technocracy and the specialist and how the specialist can have an often very distorted view of the world and reality. And they implement programs and policies and systems and institutions that are often very indifferent to the effects it has on individuals. Um, if anything, this story is really a sharp criticism of the entire idea of, I guess, systems triumphing over individuality. And yeah, Dick's a bit heavy-handed in it, and he goes to extremes to make his point. So there's not there's not any subtlety here. But anyways, the story I think has its merit. I think it's a it's a kind of a fascinating look at at the specialist, I guess, or the the technocratic figure. Now, it did take five years to get published. I don't know why it took so long to get published. I, I think maybe it's a little bit too bizarre and straightforward, and he doesn't really develop it too well. It, it does feel kind of rushed, and it feels like it may have been something kind of on the bottom of a pile that he finally got published. And I don't know how much he went back and edited it. It doesn't sound like much. But it's politically significant. It certainly is. It's 
probably the clearest and most direct of Dick's criticisms on the technocratic class as a whole. He's questioned technocracy before and the, the human robot divide and like in stories like last of the masters the idea of the robot or the machine running a society is questioned here we have people who they're so specialized and so focused and so bizarre in their way of looking at things but so confident that they have the right way of doing it and they have the power then to implement things they're more it's really the technocrat we're talking about here he connects the logic of this technocratic ruling class to a broad sociopathy and paranoia and these he kind of combines together the null old gradually become the scientific class and then gradually seize political power and they're able to claim their grabbing of political power as based on their scientific ability due to their mental illness they're they're totally paranoid they see all others as their enemies and they believe they're approaching the world with total objectivity and they said because we lack empathy for others and because we, we don't get bogged down in social constraints and social rules and conventions, like the rules of baseball, we're able to look at the world with total objectivity. Uh, but in practice, it, it gets this really bizarre idea that there is no distinctions between individuals. So it's kind of funny that despite condemning rules as arbitrary, then they rise to push the political power and then implement a system and a plan that seems based on a, on a rule. But as a combined class, this, these people, these paranoid sociopaths, conclude that the only solution to all social problems is to abolish the distinctions between people and reduce everything to a singular unity. And I think this is, in a sense, the bureaucratic logic, right? That every person is dealt with the same, the same rules apply to everyone. We don't make distinctions and we kind of have this le legal equality. But by not appreciating individual differences, I think bureaucracy is often less effective at actually, you know, implementing services and, and doing things in a fair and just way. So this is really the logic of the nation state. It has the nation state has its own goals in the reduction of all individuals and regional identities into one homogenous culture. And we could go into the whole history and historiography of nationalism. Many people have written about it, but it seems what nationalism in the modern era was about was primarily taking the culture of of what's deemed the dominant land the dominant culture of a land and then imposing it on everyone else through primarily the institutions of bureaucracy bureaucracy mass education the military and political centralization so the history of this is that many distinct cultures become france or many distinct cultures merge together to become germany or italy or the melting pot of the United States or whatever, right? But it's a process, really the main tool of which was mass education. But the null all go farther and they see their goal is the reduction of all material differences, not only between people, but among, within the whole universe. And th there might be kind of almost a religious idea here as well, in the sense that some religions do hold out this idea of kind of, at one point the universe is going to come back into God, for instance, like God's going to, destroy the earth and we're all going to be returned to him. I think origin of Alexandria sort of had this idea of at the end of time, everything comes back into God. Now for the null, this is really done. The reduction of all material differences is done through the destruction of the universe, which is the ultimate goal. 
So Dick is clearly warning against giving the most paranoid, the most antisocial, the most power-hungry, or the most deviant political power. Now, I'm, I'm interested in what people who maybe claim to have certain antisocial tendencies and still function in society or whatever think about this. It's not very, I guess it's not very sensitive to people on the autism spectrum. But I, I think we shouldn't accuse Dick too much. He's really after the technocrat and the power hungry and the paranoid in positions of power to actually implement their vision. And th this is something he builds up really an eye in the sky. The danger of giving one class of people or one perspective, the dominant domination over a political system. Now, in fact, there's probably some good evidence that democracy has proven to be pretty bad and pretty ineffective, and certainly the market economy has not been very effective at preventing antisocial, paranoids, power-hungry people, deviants, and people like that from getting political power, right? Uh, I remember once I was, it was in the summer, I was in Wisconsin, and my neighbor lent me, because I was complaining about bosses or something, my neighbor lent me a book called Snakes in Suits. You know, and it's basically about how business culture, leadership and businesses are full of psychopaths. And the, ar the argument here is that they just do a better job of working up in these hierarchies. That, that's kind of one of their skills. And that's what they're good at. And people with empathy and morality and restraint and are, are socially awkward don't do as well moving up. So it's the sociopaths that really move up uh, most easily. And so we kind of have a disproportionate number of crazy people in our in, in our leadership positions in our institutions. Now let's talk about the resistance to the novel. The resistance comes from tinkerers and producers, industrialists. These are the people who fled underground with their workforces. So it's the creative class that's put contrary to the technocratic class, the implementers of the grand plan. Um, so we can find parallels to this, perhaps like worker resistance in Stalin's Russia, where it's like the bureaucrat and the planner versus the day-to-day -day workers on the fields and in the factories. Now, the industrialists certainly want to sustain their way of life, but they're not that much better because the at least the top of the industrial class, they want to exploit workers for what reason? Um, to sustain their own power. This does, though, overthrow the null in an uprising at the end before the Null could complete their job of destroying Earth. They've destroyed most people, but the Earth has still been intact. There's some hope in the end, but in typical Dick fashion, we find it hard to sympathize with the human survivors underground who seem to have their own universal logic that they want to sustain, that of capitalism and class exploitation. Yet Dick does make it clear that there's a strong class division at work between the Null and everyone else as well especially right from the beginning, right? The, the way we identify our first character of a, the first novel character, Lemuel, is that he doesn't like the rules of baseball. He doesn't like baseball, right? Which I guess is a good evidence that someone's a psychopath. Now, Dick seems to be saying that what frightens the bureaucracy most of all is the differentiated common folk, not the unified proletariat. Quote, the lower forms of human life, clerks, bus drivers, day laborers, typists, janitors, tailors, bakers, turret lathe operators, shipping clerks, baseball players, radio announcers, garage mechanics, policemen, neck peddlers, ice cream vendors, door-to-door -door salesmen, bill collectors, receptionists, welders, carpenters, construction laborers, police, or politicians, farmers, merchants, the men and women whose very existence terrified the null to their core, end quote. So Dick gives a list of 
like 30 different professions here and says that these are what terrify the null. So it's it's not the unified proletariat. It's this un or this differentiated common folk. It's this diversity. So in a way, I think this story ultimately is a celebration of of diversity in society and a statement that his belief that the bureaucrats and the technocrats and those in political power work to unify. The story ends with a call to resist by those who would reduce us to interchangeable parts in a vast machine. So that's it. That's Null Dick's only publication from 1958. It wasn't even something he he had written around that time. He had written it way back in 1953. But there it is. It, it is an interesting story, and it's worth reading either as a story about posthumanism, but more importantly as a story about the technocrats and the... the and those, the, the managers of the system and the managers of all our institutions who might find it easier to manage interchangeable parts than diversity. So a good celebration of diversity, I guess. That's what that's why I like the story. The novel. It's got a lot of problems. It's 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 definitely of his early career. And. But it, it, I think it, I think it has its merits. So anyways, the null old. Um, that's that's my thoughts on that. So in my next episode, I'll be starting to look at Dick's works of 1959. And there's a few more that we have a novel, Time Out of Joint. And there might be another novel. I'm not sure. I, but I think it might, at least it's Time Out of Joint and then four stories. Those are also kind of cleanup stories that he had written earlier. But finally, they got published in 1959. So but anyways, next up will be a four, five, six part series on on time out of joint. So thank you so much for listening. If you have any of your own comments about Noel, please leave them below. Uh, what's your feelings about the technocracy, the technocratic class, about the nation state, about um, bureaucracy in general? Um, please leave them, your comments below. And thank you so much for listening. You can also leave me an email at 100pagescast at gmail.com. And I'll be back next time with the beginning of my review of of Dick's great novel, Time Out of Joint. My tired thoughts once on That leaving dies That leaving dies That leaving dies Tears